We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What is finished is the idea that this great country is dedicated to the freedom and flourishing of every individual in it. It's the individual that's finished. It's the single solitary human being that's finished. It's every single one of you out there that's finished. Because this is no longer a nation of independent individuals. It's a nation of some 200-odd million transistorized, deodorized, whiter-than-white, steel-belted bodies, totally unnecessary as human beings and as replaceable as piston rods. Please stand by for further details. We return now to your regularly scheduled program. You're listening to PT Pop. On a mind revolution, leading you out of the rabbit hole. You've been praying for your savior. You're sitting on a cloud in the sky. To swoop down in a spaceship. Hey there, everybody. This is PT Pop. Greeting you today with all four lobes of my brain securely bound behind my back. Tempting to lead you out of the rabbit hole one grain of truth at a time. And I hope you're all doing very, very well. And uh, today, my friends from around the world, today is a very somber day here in my country and around the world. Today is the anniversary of the 20th anniversary of September 11th, 2001. And again, this is not just a somber day in this country. This, This is a somber day around the world. But... Before I get to our somber message of the night, it's not really somber. I, again, I'm not here to make you feel sad or break your heart or anything like that. What I'm trying to do is make you think. But before I get to, to, to tonight's program, let me do this. And now, PT Pops, shameless self-promotion. Yes, shameless self-promotion from this hedonistic capitalist speaking to you from America. Exactly. Don't you have any respect for anybody else? Respect? Yes, I've got respect for my ass. That's what i got respect for. It's all anybody respects. Respect my ass. Thank you, Jack. Shameless self-promotion. I'm going to start off by talking to you about a film I created called The Artist Documentary. This is a film about struggling artists and how hard, it, how hard it is to make it as a fine artist in this country, and I'm sure around the world, it's very hard, especially in the day of the digital age. And I travel to Dayton, Ohio, where I explore and visit with a variety of artists from that wonderful community. And I'm asking each of you to pull out your wallets and rent this movie. You can rent it for $2.99. You can pay for it and download it and keep it for your very own for $6.99. And it's a great movie. A great cast. My friend Logan Rogers is in it. Rusty Harden, who is now a friend of mine, who I didn't know at the time, is a great artist, and she's in this film. Um, a member of the PBS staff, Rodney Veal, is in it. He's the host of The Art Show down in Dayton. 
And it's just some wonderful people and places. And I had a great time making this, and I think you'd really enjoy it. It's a good, positive uh, movie with a great message about the arts. So there you have my... There you go. But as I sit here tonight, I'm basking in the glow of my computer. And I'm sitting here on the anniversary of this somber day in the history of the world when allegedly, I say allegedly because we don't really know what happened on that day, Allegedly, a variety of men jumped on planes with box cutters and flew them into a couple of buildings, including the Pentagon and two of the World Trade Center towers. But did you know that on September 11th, a third building felt it was never hit by a plane? A third building where firemen and police officers and reporters heard explosions inside of it, and that building fell at free fall speed? That building is called Building 7. And um, but let me go. Let me go back in time to September of two thousand and one. At the time, I was boy. What was I? Thirty-five years old. I was thirty-five years old, and I was working for WorldCom, which was a major data provider, one of the biggest data providers in the world. It was previously MCI. They merged with WorldCom, they became WorldCom, then they became MCI WorldCom, then I worked for them for about a year. And uh, they filed bankruptcy because their CEO, President Bernie Evers, was cooking the books and he got sent up the river. And then they had layoffs and lost my job. But on September 11th, I was sitting in my car on 77 North, coming out of Independence, Ohio, driving into downtown Cleveland to meet with the chief information officer of Sherwin-Williams, along with my boss and a couple of salespeople. And the chief information officer at Sherwin-Williams at the time was a gentleman by the name of Jim Jaroszewski. And as I was driving in, I turned on my radio, which was WTAM 1100 on the AM dial, and I heard a report that a plane had just hit one of the towers. And I was stunned. I remember sitting in my car, just the skies were so blue. It was a beautiful, um, uh, a sunny, sunny morning. And uh, I was listening like, oh my God, you know, and then, you know, I'm driving and driving. It took me about half an hour or something to get downtown. And I got downtown, I'm listening to reports and I parked. And our meeting was in the terminal tower in downtown Cleveland. And I parked and I saw my boss in the parking lot. And he's like, did you hear her? Hear about the planes hitting? I said, What do you mean the planes? He goes, Yeah, a second plane just hit the second tower. I go, Oh, that's not good. And we both we both kind of thought at the same time, well, I didn't, but he did. He said it's probably terrorism, he thought. And I'm like, yeah, probably yeah, it's it's just too too odd. At first we were both talking on the way up to this guy's office and one in one of the you know buildings of the terminal tower, we were talking about how it couldn't be an accident for two planes to do it. So we get up into this tower, we meet with this gentleman, Jim Jaroszewski, and we're all concerned about the uh, about the, the planes crashing into the buildings. And we're halfway through this meeting. It's, you know, I don't know what time it is. I don't remember what time that the first tower fell. Um, 
but I think it was prior to that because um, I was at home when the first tower fell, I believe. But but we're sitting in this meeting around, you know, it's a stereotypical meeting in this big, beautiful, you know, um, not a banquet room, a um, conference room with a big, giant oval oak table. And uh, Mr. Jaroszewski's, you know, we're talking about his data circuits and his assistant named Charles comes into the room. He, he was this guy is a white guy, but he was pale white, like all the blood had rushed out of his face and gone right into his shoes. And he said they were evacuating the building. Now, the terminal tower is like, I don't know, it's like an 80-story building, I think. Let me look it up here. I'm not certain. I think it's a pretty tall building. Terminal Tower, Cleveland. Oh, it's 52 stories, so I'm off by like 30 stories. It's a tall building. So it was one of the prominent landmarks in the town until they built the, the Key Bank building. But anyway, so he says they're evacuating the building. We all just like grabbed our stuff, our laptop bags and our briefcases. And we went down, uh, what would that be? 50 flights of stairs <laughs> out into the street. And I remember we got out into the street and all the buildings around Public Square where the Terminal Tower is, all the people from all the office buildings around that building were all the people from all those buildings were in the street. And I remember walking out and I, I lost I lost sight of my boss and Mr. Jaroszewski and Charlie and all these other people. And I found my way to my car and I was just in shock. And I remember looking up at the sky looking for airplanes because in my mind I thought at that very moment jet airliners would come crashing down on the buildings around me because I was I was assuming we were under some type of attack from a from evil doers from a foreign foreign government and they were using our planes against us and I was horrified I was really scared and I remember looking up at the AT&T building, I, um, I jumped to my little Honda Civic. I had a green Honda Civic. And I got into traffic. Somebody let me in. And I'm sitting in this traffic. And I'm looking up at all these skyscrapers. And I had moved maybe a quarter of a mile or something since I got into my car. And I was trying to make it back to the freeway to get home. And I looked up. And to my left was the AT&T building, which is another tall building, not as tall as the terminal tower, but on the top of this building, you know, where all the cell towers and microwave tire towers and all these radar, you know, satellite dishes and things like that. I don't think, I don't think it has the same, the same junk on top of it now. I don't think it's even called the AT&T building anymore. And I thought to myself, oh no, if this is a true attack by a foreign government, they're going to go for our communications. Because in, in any organized attack in the military first thing they do is you know they cut off they cut off routes in and out of big cities they cut out the communications so people can't communicate they take down the power grid and then they start bombing you know this is kind of traditional warfare stuff that i know about from reading history books so in my mind i think it oh i'm i'm in for it because these Planes are going to start crashing into the AT&T building. There's all kinds of digital switches and analog switches in the building at the time. And I'm like praying to God and said, please, God, don't let me die in downtown Cleveland. <laughs> I'm picturing, you know, rubble falling from the skies like in a Godzilla movie onto my little green Honda Civic. 
and I'm, I'm panicking. I'm trying to figure out what to do. Well, the only way to get to the freeway was to drive the wrong way, pass all these cars and drive the wrong way against traffic and to get on the freeway. And I did that just like Steve McQueen. What was that movie? The French Connection where he's driving around the streets of New York or Chicago or something. Like a maniac, got a five-speed manual transmission. I just downshifted, my, my tires were spinning, like squealing down East 9th Street. I went against all these cars, dodging out of the cars. They got on 77, and I'm heading back to my condo. And as I'm driving south on this condo, I'm looking up at the sky, looking for more jets. And I'm thinking to myself, what do I do now? You know, I'm, I'm 20, 25, 30 minutes from home. And all I see are blue skies and sunshine. And it seems so surreal. There was this weird attack going on in New York City, hundreds of miles to the east of me. But where would I go for safety? Where do you go? If, if they're going to start throwing airplanes at all the buildings and if there's going to be an invasion, I'm thinking there was going to be an invasion like by Russia or China or Korea or something like that. And, uh, I thought I'll drive out to the country. I'll drive way out to where I used to live, way out east of Cleveland, and I'll, I'll go park my car in a park. No one's going to get me there. And then I thought, no, I'll just go home. So I, I went home to my to my condo, and, and my condo had a finished basement. It was a small condo, about 1,200 square feet. And I lived in the basement because it was a finished basement with a full bath. Had a couch, and uh, I had my bed down there and all my recording equipment and my guitars. And um, I turned on the TV. And uh, I called my sister, who lived in L.A. at the time, and we're, we were watching it on, unfold on CNN on the news. And we were on the phone for a while, and then all of a sudden she goes, oh, that, the building just collapsed. And I said, what building collapsed? She goes, that, the, the tower that was hit by the plane. We were both like in, in shock. And I was in shock. And I remember everybody was in shock it was just the the most bizarre thing you'd ever see unfold in front of your eyes before your eyes in, in anybody's life seriously it really was i mean if you were alive back then if you're younger you're not going to know about this but it was just just inexplicable fear and wonder and confusion and what's what's next and so, so I remember, I think that night, I think President Bush went on TV. I don't know if it was that night. But let me see if I have a recording of it here. In the aftermath of the terror. This is, this is CNN with President George W. Bush. And I don't know who the news anchor is speaking, but. Terrorist attack on September 11th. When President Bush went before the Congress in 2002, he defined the axis of evil. Meaning now, this is 2002 where he defines the axis of evil. But there's another broadcast where he, um, he talks about the... He delivers his first public speech after 9-11 attack. Here it is. Difficult moment for America. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a difficult moment for America. 
Uh, today we've had a national tragedy. Now see, in this video, this stuff I didn't notice before. When it, when it originally happened, I saw him on TV. President Bush is at some type of function. I'm not certain where he is here. Let me see if it tells me. But he's flanked by a whole group of people. He's flanked by school children. He's flanked by uh, very attractive African-American people and white people. And everybody's very down-to-earth looking. But it's, it's a very wholesome group of, looking, uh, group of people. And he's got the presidential podium in front of him. He looks very serious and somber. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. I have spoken to the Vice President, to the Governor of New York, to the Director of the FBI. Now, did you hear the gasp in the crowd when he says apparent a terrorist attack on the, on the country? ...have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. I have spoken to the Vice President, to the Governor of New York, to the Director of the FBI, and have ordered that the full resources of the federal government uh, go to help the victims and their families and, the, and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and to find those folks who committed this act. Now he wants to hunt down and find those folks that committed this act. And I bring, now you might say, Pete, why are you bringing this up? We know all about this stuff, but think about this for a second. Um, the country at the time and the world at the time was vulnerable. We believed everything we saw. We believed everything we heard. At the time, very few people I knew questioned the media. Very few people I knew, including myself, didn't question the media. I didn't question the government. I didn't question anything. The only thing I had ever questioned was how was President Kennedy killed? Who killed him? That was the only time I'd ever kind of questioned the government in Vietnam. But outside of that, I didn't really pay much attention. And I, I didn't believe in conspiracy theories. I'm not one that really believes in aliens and all that stuff. But I didn't question any of this stuff. And he, nobody did. Everybody was convinced that we had been attacked by evildoers. Now here's President Obama visited Ground Zero Thursday. Here, here's a President uh, Bush visits Ground Zero soon after the attacks. I don't remember the date of this, but it's it's within a couple of days. Uh, or maybe a few hours after the attacks. Now keep in mind, he's standing on a pile of rubble. He's got his arm over what I assume to be the, the, the fire chief of the local f fire station. He's got a white bullhorn. He's just got a regular jacket on like a regular fella. And there's all these construction workers behind him with, with hard hats on that have been digging through the rubble. And it's just a very powerful image and a very, I, I'll never forget this. Workers who work here, 
for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people... So there's a chant of USA, USA. So the point I'm making here is after these attacks, there was this huge surge in patriotism and yay, rah, hoorah, let's go get him kind of uh, attitude. And our military guys and gals were all up in arms. People were ready to go and start fighting and shooting. Even myself, after they announced it was terrorist, weeks after this, I remember uh, thinking that that um, that the Middle Eastern type fellas were were up were again were behind this, and I remember driving downtown Cleveland. I was headed over to the east side, and I saw these these a group a car filled with uh, like um, Middle Eastern guys with beards and everything. They're all looking up at the buildings and stuff, and I. I remember thinking, boy, you know, that's weird. I wonder what these guys doing driving around. You never, I never saw Middle Eastern guys around Cleveland. Back then, there were certain parts of town you went where, where they lived. But and it's not being racist. This was just like I'll vividly remember these guys were very young, driving around, going down Carnegie, going east of a BP station, and they were just like looked all happy and excited to be like in America. And I was all of a sudden, I, was, I had my, my radar on for all these Middle Eastern guys. I was waiting to look for suspicious activity because they told us to keep our eyes open. And, and the day of these attacks on the radio, there were all these really confusing messages. In Cleveland, there was this message that there was a van pulled over on 271 northbound, just outside of Cleveland, surrounded by SWAT. And there were all these really weird reports of, of, of potential bombs and vans and Nobody else remembers this, and they don't talk about it anymore, but in Cleveland there was this huge thing about this van pulled over and, and other things going on in Cleveland. So my point is we were all shocked by this. We were mourning. We were numb. We were scared. Everybody was just like behind the president. Everybody was behind the government. Everybody wanted to go get these sons of bitches that did this to our country, right? And the president had all these speeches and he had these these hoorah things like he had this one speech here where he defines the enemies that are now the enemies of the United States. Now listen to this. Real patriotic music. This is CNN. It's the, you know, the swelling patriotic state of the union flashback. In the aftermath of the terrorist attack on September 11th, when President Bush this is from January of 2002, just a couple of months after September 11th. Went before the Congress in 2002, he defined the axis of evil, meaning Iran, Iraq, and North Korea. States like these and their terrorist allies constitute an axis of evil, arming to threaten the peace of the world. Axis was such a loaded word, however, because the Axis powers in World War II had been Italy, and Germany and Japan. The 
See, he's using language that many of the people that remember World War II remember the Axis powers of Japan and Germany and um, Italy. <clears throat> it's a very powerful word, especially those fellows that fought World War II that were still alive at the time, like my uncle. Oh, and my uncle had passed away by this time. My uncle was in Normandy, but he had passed away, I think, the previous summer. And um, so there's a whole psyops thing starting to go on here. He's he's talking about evil doers. Idea that the world was now divided into Axis powers and Allied powers seemed to suggest a war coming on, which indeed was the truth. It is both our responsibility and our privilege to fight freedom's fight. Okay. So enough of the reminiscing fight freedom's fight. So from that day forward, whether you live here in the U.S. or you live in another country and you listen to me, our armies have now marched unabated into, I think we're now in like 16 different countries around the world. Without any uproar, without any pushback from the American people, everybody said, go get him, George. And within months, I don't remember, it was 2002, sometime in 02 or 03, we were in Iraq. We were in Afghanistan. A few years after that, we were in a Syri few years after that, we were in Syria. And all of a sudden, they started passing these weird things called the Patriot Act, where they could take your rights away. They could arrest you without reading your rights, uh, take your Miranda rights away. I'm, I'm going to just gloss over some of that stuff. But. A few years after September 11th, I had moved to Phoenix, Arizona. I had moved to Phoenix, Arizona that spring, in the spring of 02, and I was living in Arizona. And in 2006, this film came out called Loose Change. And this movie questioned what really happened on that day. And it was the first time I'd ever heard anyone ever question what really happened on that day. And I hadn't. I was just like, go get him. Let's go get him. Bin Laden. Let's go kill him. Let's hang him from a high, the highest tree, you know. Let's go get him, you know. I'm Rocky, you know. I'm going to go punch him with the left and hit him with the right. And Adrian, get me my beer, will you, you know. I was all American. And John Wayne and Sylvester Stallone, you know, Rocky. And I was just like, you know, you know, we got to go get him, you know. And uh, we... I kind of question when we attacked Iraq. I'm like, why are we attacking Iraq? What's this got to do if these guys all came out of Saudi Arabia or they all came out of Afghanistan? And here in this country, there was just all this... They were kind of questioning, like, how do guys who worked out of a cave with a satellite phone coordinate this? But this movie comes out, Loose Change, and I'm just like, wow. Whoa, wait a minute. I never thought about any of this stuff. Hmm. And they started to really question it. And they started to look at it. And they brought up Building 7. Now, if you don't know what Building 7 is, Building 7 is one of the World Trade Center buildings in the complex of buildings when World Trade Center stood as it stood on that day prior to being attacked. Building 7 was not hit by an airplane. It had some small office fires. And the building collapsed at free fall speed into its own footprint, own footprint within like 10 seconds. And it just fell nice and neat into a little pile. And there were explosions heard in the building. Many reports by firemen that there were explosions in the building and in all the buildings. And it was even recorded and filmed. If you if you look up Building 7, I think they've taken a lot of it down off of YouTube. But you can find videos of it. 
in other places where this building just collapses, but no one ever talks about this building. And now there's um, architects and engineers for truth. If you look them up, there are like 3,000 architects and engineers that have signed a petition asking for a new investigation, independent investigation to be done on 9-11 and what really happened that day. Now, they're not coming out and saying anything conspiratorial. Their angle is that those buildings, all three buildings fell in a very suspicious manner based off of physics, based off of engineering, based off of uh, the logic of physics. None of the buildings fell the way they should fall based off the, the laws of physics that we, as we know them. It would be more likely that, that the two big World Trade Centers would topple over one to one side or the other based off how they were constructed, not just fall nice and neat into a pile with molten metal beneath it and things like that. So since 2006, 15 years ago, I began to, I began to question everything. And I'm serious. I think Building 7 is the cornerstone, it's the smoking gun, and the proof that this was not pulled off by guys living in an Afghani cave somewhere. Building 7 is the proof that we were all tricked that day. It is of my opinion, again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a, a professor in physics, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an attorney, I'm not a psychiatrist, or a psychologist, but it's of my opinion from what I've seen and the proof I've seen that something nefarious went on that day that had nothing to do with Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria. Something went on that day to get our president to write, you know, write a check for anything he wanted. He could he got our he marched our armies in unabated without the approval of the American people, other than hurrah, go, hurrah, you know. And he just went into Afghanistan, and I'm like, Iraq? He started bombing the crap out of Iraq. And we went out and we assassinated Saddam Hussein. We eventually got um, bin Laden. I don't remember what happened to the leader in Syria. I think he's still in power. I think we're still trying to get that dude. And I'm going to drink some water here. And the one thing that I know is that there was something in Afghanistan called uranium. Not uranium, sorry, not uranium, lithium. There's lithium. There's lithium mines, massive lithium mines, and there's opium fields. And the lithium mines, hmm, we invade around 2003, 2004. And what comes out in 2006? iPhones. Oh. What else comes out? Android phones about a year later. Year, no, Android phones, I think, came out in like 07 or 08. Hmm. Millions and millions and millions of iPhones are made. And what did they require? Oh, lithium batteries. And the cell phone industry explodes. And the Mac, MacBook Pros, MacBook this, MacBook that, with the lithium batteries in it. Oh, hmm. Isn't it kind of a coincidence that our armies are around the largest lithium mine like in the world and all of a sudden everyone's got an iPhone that needs a lithium battery in it? Hmm. Oh, 
And another strange, things ha strange thing happened right after 9-11. Everybody had easy access to this drug called heroin. Hmm. And our armies are all around the poppy fields in Afghanistan. Hmm. Any correlation there? I don't know. But everybody in America, a, a vast majority, like when I was a kid, the only people who were hopped up on heroin or the only people you heard about hopped up on heroin were like rock stars and movie stars like Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and, you know, the, you know, I'm 55, so these were the big stars of my day that OD'd on smack or allegedly did. I don't know about Jim Morrison. I don't know what he was taking, but a lot of the big guys were on heroin. And it was it was not like a common drug. It wasn't something, you know, in my town, people were alcoholics. People were drunks. There was a town drunk, and there was the guys down at the bar, you know, getting into fist fights. And, you know, I didn't see any heroin. I, I knew one guy in college that took heroin, and this that's 1987. But I didn't know anybody else that took it. I knew people that did coke. I knew people that smoked pot. But, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't on a regular basis that people were smoking. I'm sorry, we're uh, snorting coke. It was at a party here and there. It wasn't all the time. But all of a sudden, in 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, and beyond, even to now, the heroin epidemic has exploded. So the, I'm thinking to myself, isn't there any correlation that our armies around the poppy fields that make, you know, heroin comes from poppy? from the poppy fields. I'm not going to go into the history of heroin, and I'm not an expert on it. But people, my point here is this very emotional, scary, and horrifying incident happened in our country, but they used video of these planes crashing the buildings. They used video of the planes exploding. They used video of the buildings collapsing just like a Hollywood movie, it was all highly produced, glossy production, coordinated with all of the, with all of the networks, and it was presented to the world in a nice, clean, tidy, polished package with a little bow on it, saying, "Hey, look, this is what we say happened, and this is the reaction you should have, and you should be patriotic, because at some place, Bush says, if you're not with us, you're against us, right? Now, if you weren't alive at the time." If you're not with us, let's find it, President Bush. Well, I can't find it, it doesn't matter. But he says something like this, if, if you're not with, with us, you're against us. Come on, where is it? So Sadat, so he goes on, he goes on TV, and he he makes all these big dramatic speeches and stuff, and he says, "The world has engaged in twelve years of diplomacy. We have passed more than a dozen resolutions in the United destruction. In recent days, some governments in the Middle East have been doing their part. They have delivered public." and private messages urging the dictator to leave Iraq so that disarmament can proceed. All the decades of deceit and cruelty Iraq within 48 hours. Well, anyway, I'm not going to go through that, but he had this speech, and in one part he said, if you're not with us, you're against us. 
And so there was this huge, you know, patriotic uprising, just like after Pearl Harbor. I mean, like, if you're not from America, all they talk about on December 7th of every year is the anniversary of these poor guys that were killed in these battleships in Pearl Harbor down in the Hawaiian Islands. And it's horrible and it's horrific. And yes, it's awful. And there's conspiracies about, conspiracies about that day as well. But the point I'm trying to make is that I believe it is of my opinion that they use this event, they either allowed it to happen or they they designed it themselves, the government between the United States, our CIA, maybe Saudi Arabia, maybe Israel, maybe they got it all together so they could attack all these evildoers without anybody questioning our military going to all these places. And I think we're hoodwinked. I believe each and every one of us in this country are hoodwinked. And there's people out there that hate me for saying that. And you can't bring it up at parties because people have lost brothers and sons and daughters in these wars. I mean, America has been at war now for 20 years. 20 years we've been fighting allegedly terrorism and evildoers. And, and it's amazing the people that believe everything they're told. They're, they believe the original story of 9-11 without a doubt because their kids have served in the armed forces. Now, most of the guys and gals that have served that survived and are back home aren't in, in the armed forces, but everybody here is very proud, and I'm proud, I have lots of military men in my life, in, not in my life, <laughs> but in my family. I had a great uncle that was in World War One. My dad was in World War Two. I had my uncle and his brother were in Normandy invasions. Um, you know, I've got my brother-in-law and all his brothers were in Vietnam. Um, I can't think of everybody. We had lots of people. My grandfather, my mom's mom was in the Navy. Lots of servicemen. So I'm not putting down the servicemen and women that have fought in our, for our country and allegedly fighting against terrorism. What I'm saying is each of us civilians or, or military personnel, we've all been tricked into fighting a war that the government wanted to fight, that they couldn't find a reason to get it done. They couldn't get, they couldn't come up with any other way to invade Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria because Congress would never approve it. But because we were attacked, it was, it was just automatic. And it is an apparent way not only to invade countries with our armies, here in this country, it's been a way to take out our take our rights away. They now they probably listen to my podcast. They probably have some type of digital robot that listens to my podcast. They they have Secret Service, not Secret Service. I'm sorry, CIA agents and all kinds of black ops people probably listen to people's conversations. They may consider to be enemies of the state because they don't want an uprising. And they've pushed and pushed and pushed to push this agenda. Now we need we need passports to travel within the U.S. Before in America, you didn't need a passport to go anywhere, right? You, we didn't need a passport to go into Canada. You just walk across the border and you would be in Canada. I don't know about Mexico, but you didn't need a passport to go into Canada. You could just drive up there. I might be wrong about that. I might be wrong about that because when I just traveled to Canada a couple of years ago, I needed a passport, but... 
you know, it was no big deal. You could travel state to state without a passport, but sometimes now you need these special IDs with, let's say you have a passport and you're, and it's marked in your driver's license that you provide a proof of a passport. And there's all this stuff that happened. Our rights have been taken away. They listen on everything to date we do. They watch our emails. They watch our Facebook transactions. They watch our conversations. They look for certain words. They now have the ability to tap into all of these servers around the world and, and look for certain words. They have a digital digital um, spiders that crawl the net looking for evildoers. But why? Why here in America? If the threat was from outside of America and it came from a cave in Afghanistan, why are they scrutinizing the American people and restricting them? And now here in America, they're forcing us to get these vaccinations. They allegedly have given out, there's there's roughly, you know, 300 million people in this country. They have allegedly given out 300, I'm sorry, 150 million vaccinations. Now they're trying to come up with a plan. The rumor is that we're going to have to be forced to be vaccinated. You can't say no to it. Well, why? Why does the government care so much about us that they want us to have a vaccination? I had a friend recently who, well, he thinks he had COVID. I'm pretty sure he had COVID. And then he all of a sudden started getting these blood clots. He had he had double pneumonia, and he had blood clots. And then he had, then he they checked him out of the hospital. Then he had full cardiac arrest. They put him back in the hospital. And he almost died, and he didn't. He miraculously recovered, and he's still alive. Thank God. He's a wonderful guy. Todd, if you're listening, how you doing there, brother? Um, but even he doesn't come out and say, "Yeah, you need to get the vaccine." He's never said that to me. And I've only I've known two people have died from COVID. Two, uh, my my friend's husband died, that, but even she says it wasn't COVID. She says he had heart condition already, but they put on his death certificate COVID. Now he was he was he was heavy set guy, I believe he had heart condition already, and he had a massive heart attack and he died. But they put COVID on the de- on the death certificate. Now this is truth. These are people I really know. Outside of that, I know people that say they. Th- they, they were told they had COVID, but they just have flu-like symptoms. I don't know anybody else anywhere at all who's died from this. And I've been preaching about this for two years now. So what's the point? Why does the government care so much about us that they, they want to listen to our phone calls and make us get vaccines and they want to read our emails and watch who we talk to, who we social, uh, to who we organize with and who we, who we associate ourselves with, right? Do you ever think about why, why do they do that? Why? Why do they do that? Hmm. I wonder why. If the threat came from outside the country in 9-11, why do they perceive the threat to be within our borders now? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I think they're afraid that there'll be more people like me that wake up and go, oh, it was all a lie. September 11th was all a giant choreographed show that they used to manipulate not only the American people, but the, the world, the people of the world. And they're waiting for an uprising. So what did they do? They came up with cell phones. They needed lithium to create the cell phones. And look at us. We're all like these cell phone zombies. Nobody has any fight in this country. Fight in them in this country. Nobody has any fight left in them. We're all zombified by these glowing icons we hold in our hands. We can't take our eyes off of them. And I've talked about this in other podcasts. Where I'm looking at the screen, I can't take my eyes away, even though there's nothing worth looking at. It like puts you into a trance. 
Now, I ask you this, why do you think nobody has any fight in them? Now, I've noticed people around the world are protesting against the vaccines, like in England, in Germany, in France, in Italy. Nobody here is protesting. People are just like, gee whiz, everybody, let's go get a vaccine. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do, because I'm going to do the right thing for our people in the country, because they're all dumb as a box of rocks. People in this country... And, and this is why I want to make this podcast, is people in this country are just, I, I mean, it's just unbelievable. People have no fight in them. They've got us fighting each other. They, they have done just what the Nazis did. They've created division amongst the people. They've got us fighting against each other. They've got black versus white and white against Chinese. We've got Chinese, poor Chinese people are getting attacked in the street because allegedly the COVID virus came from China. It's crazy, crazy stuff. And they throw smoke screens out there and they've got all kinds of things to confuse. Everybody's confused and tired and lazy and fat. I mean, if you want to come to a country where the people are really fat, come to America. The land of the brave and the, and the obese. They have put us in a trance with these phones. I am convinced of it beyond a shadow of a doubt. They can put us in a trance and they, they want us we're all passive. We're, we're all defeated. Nobody has any fight in them. If you give Americans cigarettes and you give them beer and pizza and some porno, and, a, and for the men, a hot chick to have sex with, or the women, you give them a fancy purse. And yes, I'm being sexist, but it's true thing about how many women you can bedazzle with a nice purse or a pair of shoes. I, I, can't, I can't begin to... There's too many women I know that are so fascinated with their shoes. I mean, what, what is it? They have this shoe fetish. But if you bedazzle people with, with shiny objects in this country, they just, they're lost. They, they'll drop their rifles in a second. I'm telling you, if you're Chinese or you're Russian, you already know this because you've infiltrated our country with the Communist Party and the Socialist people. You know our people are, are beat. We're defeated already. You could park, as I've said in other podcasts, you can park your whole Russian naval fleet and the Chinese fleet off the coast and people would have their weapons and stuff, but... People are too tired and fat to put up a fight here in this country. They see a couple explosions, see a couple of their buddies, you know, turn into red mist in front of them. They'd be like, oh, okay, I'm done. I, just give me some beer and cigarettes. You don't even have to torture us here. People here are, are so insipid and infantile and so lazy and fat and stupid. You just give them some, you really don't have to put us in bamboo cages like you did to John McCain and Vietnam, you just give us you know, porno, give us cigarettes and beer and some vodka and give us something watching TV or whatever, and you win. You got it. You've already got it. You already know that. You do, you do not have to fire a shot to take over this country, and they know that. Whoever is in control at the helm, and I'm going to leave you with this, and, and you, I know you think I'm all nuts. You, those The few people that do listen to me, you think I'm nuts, and I think, I truly believe that the CIA and whatever shape they're in now or whoever runs them is at the helm of everything we do, including the food markets, including the media and the news, and they run everything. I think there's a shadow military government that runs, and I'll prove this to you. They're throwing it in their face. I was doing some research on Anheuser-Busch today because I believe the beer and the alcohol companies are legalized drug dealers because alcoholism affects roughly, well, I've seen numbers from anywhere from 30 to 125 million people in this country are alcoholics. It's like, like a third of the people in this country are just drunk 
batshit drunk most of the time. But anyways, doing some research on Anheuser-Busch, and I want to see who the CEO is. And there's a gentleman at the top of the food chain there. His name is Brendan Whitworth. Brendan Whitworth. Brendan, how is mother today? Are you having a spot of tea with her? Yeah, thank you, Brendan. Get me my rolls, will you? Have, have the butler pull it up. Thank you. Brendan Whitworth. Isn't this, isn't this like out of a movie script or something? You should see this guy. He is a nice-looking man. He's got the pearly white teeth and the beautiful skin and the nice hair and the, all the blue eyes. He's, he's the next best thing to an Aryan from the Aryan race. But anyway, let me read this to you. This is his... This is his bio. As U.S. CEO, as US CEO of Anheuser-Busch, Brendan leads Anheuser-Busch's growth and long-term commercial strategy. Drawing on his deep experience in the CPG industry and his eight years in the Marine Corps and his central intelligence agency, let me repeat that again, drawing on his deep experience in the CPG industry and his eight years in the Marine Corps, Marine Corps and Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA. Brendan has a unique perspective on our business and our consumers. Imagine that a man who worked for the CIA has a unique perspective on the consumers. Hmm. In his previous role as U.S. Chief Sales Officer, his strategic leadership, strong customer relationship, and expert use of innovation sales technologies, and consumer insights. Consumer insights. Hmm. Wonder what that means. That's that's a loaded word right there. And strong commercial momentum for the company. Mm-hmm. Since joining since joining Anheuser Busch in 2013, Brendan has held key positions across our sales organization, including leading trade marketing, category and sales technology efforts in the U.S. Hmm. Former officer of the CIA. So I went over to the man's LinkedIn profile. Brendan Whitworth, CEO Anheuser-Busch and President North American Zone. Let's see what he did at the CIA. Operations officer, counterterrorism center, clandestine service. So I'm guessing he was a spy of some sort. From 2001 to 2006. Hoorah! Right after 9-11, baby. Washington, D.C., Pakistan, Tunisia, and Iraq. So he was in the middle of all this. Specialized in the recruitment and handling of human sources with access to vital intelligence that prevented and disrupted terrorist threats. Let me read that to you again. This is all very... This is all... um, Gloss, this is all like a 50,000 foot view. It's put very nicely. It's, he says, specialized in the recruitment and handling of human resources with access to vital intelligence that prevented and disrupted terrorist threats. So he went around Pakistan and Iraq and Tunisia and said, hey, come on over here. Talk to me, young man. And uh, what do you know about this, that, and the other? And, and if they didn't know anything, I'm sure they had uh, ways of making him talk partnered with other government agencies and military units in the conduct of direct action missions that led to the elimination of known terrorist elements, managed relationships with counterparts from allied governments in pursuit of mutual policy interests. Hmm. 
mastered Arabic language, and achieved four-level near-native proficiency. So here's a guy who is allegedly from the U.S., who joins the CIA, allegedly joins right after, hurrah, 9-11. He's looking for evildoers. So basically how I read this is he caught and captured guys who had information, probably tortured them, probably in Guantanamo Bay and places like that. Partnered with other government agencies, black ops, probably uh, military units like the, like the SEALs and the Green Berets and all that stuff in the conduct direct action missions. He went into battle. Led the elimination of terrorist elements, killing killing the enemy, kill, killing evildoers. Manage the relationships with counterparts. These are people that were on our side that bought into the hurrah speech after 9-11 with George Bush. This is a guy that learned the Arabic language. So you gotta ask yourself this question. Why is a guy who was a spy for the CIA working for Anheuser-Busch. I want you to keep that question in the back of your mind while I read what he did in the United States Marine Corps. Now, keep in mind, I'm not mocking this man, okay? Let's assume that the terrorists are real. Let's assume that there was a huge threat, and let's assume he was out there trying to protect our country. Let's assume, because I don't I don't know the man, and I, I honor and look up to all the men in our military, and the women, too you got to throw the women in there because now we've convinced women they've got to go to war. I don't know how we did that, but we, we got them out there with ARs and everything else. United States Marine Corps, 1st Lieutenant, 1998 to 2001, three years, Virginia and California. Managed company operational readiness through the development of occupational training programs, scheduling, mentoring, logistical planning, and allocation of human resources. Served as primary advisor for operational and personnel-related matters to commanding officer of a company with over 200 Marines. Led a platoon of over 70 Marines and managed a staff of eight senior non-commissioned officers. Awarded Navy Achievement Medal for Exceptional Service Performance. So, sounds very mundane. Sounds like he just kind of did logistics planning of supplies and men and stuff and women. He's a Harvard graduate, <laughs> Master of Business Administration. Bucknell University graduate with a Bachelor's uh, of Economics and Classics. So this is a guy who somehow is using his skills and he got, I don't know how you become a CEO, you get elected or appointed or whatever. So you've got to ask yourself a question, why is a guy with this background overseeing Anheuser-Busch? Hmm. And I mentioned earlier about alcoholism in our country. It's affecting at least 100 million people. Probably a third of our country, if not abuse alcohol, are alcoholics and are severely addicted to it. Hmm. This guy, now this is just an opinion, Mr. Whitworth. I don't know this for a fact, but I believe, and there's some other people on his staff. If you read the staff and the people, the upper echelons of Anheuser-Busch, it's all about manipulating the people to get them to buy their beer. And it's of my opinion that Anheuser-Busch and all the big beer and alcohol companies are legalized drug pushers because they come up with these real sexy ads to make it look like you got to have a beer to have fun, you got to have a beer to watch the ball game, you got to have a beer to cut the grass, you got to have a beer to be sexy, you got to have a beer to have a pizza, you got to have a beer to have a Subway sandwich. And it's, it's all psyops. It's all designed 
to manipulate the people, to manipulate their emotions, to manipulate their memories of better times at Christmas. Everyone's having a beer on the fire at Christmas. Everybody's having a beer on the beach as they play volleyball, you know. It's all sexy women. It's not, not the fat people like like live here in Cleveland. <clears throat> There's the majority of the people that drink beer become very heavy. <clears throat> and most of the people here in Cleveland, I, I, I bet you half the people here are really obese. Myself including, I'm, I'm about 50 pounds overweight. And that's not from beer. <laughs> it's just from pizza and all the other shit that I've been convinced that I need to eat. But why, why is a former CIA operative, clandestine service, that means spy, He's a spy for the CIA. Now he works for Anheuser-Busch. Come on, people. I don't have to spell this out, do I? You're being manipulated to become numb. They want you numb. They want you addicted. They want you addicted to booze. They want you addicted to heroin. They want you addicted to pills. They want you addicted to the glowing icons you hold in your hand. They want you addicted to the internet. They want you addicted to anything they can. I truly believe that some faction of the United States government controls all of this stuff to control us so we won't uprise and, and say, call bullshit on what happened to 9-11. And they've got it. They've got almost every single person is absolutely hooked on something, myself included. I don't drink anymore, but I used to drink. I used to rely on heavily to sleep. I couldn't sleep. For years, I couldn't sleep, and I was just guzzling this stuff so just, just to put me to sleep. I was desperate to sleep. Fortunately, I can sleep now on my own for the most part. But you've got to ask yourself, this is the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Why do they have a clandestine officer from the CIA working in Anheuser-Busch in the North America office? And I haven't gotten into the other offices of Anheuser-Busch. There's European offices, and I think there's Chinese offices, and there's probably offices in Korea. I, I have no idea. I, I don't care to know, but you're being manipulated. You're manipulated in 9-11 to believe one narrative that wasn't true. You're manipulated to buy these phones. You think you can't live without Facebook. These last two days, I almost went complete without Facebook. And I got to tell you this, I kept wanting my phone. I kept wanting to hold it and touch it and find out who liked my post and who thought I was funny and stuff. I make this podcast not because I want to be popular. I'm not. Not many people listen to this. But for those of you that do, and hello CIA officers out there and Black Ops people, I'm hoping somebody gets this and goes, oh, you know what, this guy, he he makes sense. But I know I'm not alone. There's thousands of people like me on the internet to talk about the same thing. But I'm finding things every day. I tell my wife every day, the CIA is involved in everything. Anderson Cooper on CNN is a former... He worked at the CIA. Allegedly, he was just an intern there. But come on. <laughs> you, you know, he was just just, just an intern there, right? That's, that's one network with one person that has some connection with the CIA. Um, I'm going to end with that. But 9-11 was a tool used against us in the United States and against the people of the world. And it was something used to get into these countries for political, financial, and corporate gain. Whether it was lithium, or it was opium, or it was oil fields, or if it was just because President Bush didn't like brown people. I don't know what the reasons were. But we're all paying a cost for it. 
and now that we're all you know drunk fat and stupid nobody cares we're, we're you know they've got us doped with everything they can get us doped with and they're taking over now they want everybody to get this, these ridiculous vaccines so with that i'm going to say to you good night and um I'm sorry. I'm so sorry people died on 9-11. But millions of people have died unnecessarily since then. Innocent civilians in multiple countries have gone and died at the hands of our military and our government, and nobody talks about them. Yes, we lost 3,000 innocent people on 9-11, and that's, very, that's terrible. And yes, we've lost a lot of men and women in battle, and many of our men and women have been scarred and, and um, physically broken and mentally and emotionally broken. That's, that's a tragedy too. But people, we've got to wake up. This, this, isn't, this isn't right. What has happened in this world is not right. Peace starts with you. I'm P.T. Pop on a mind revolution. Have a good night. Shoot up to number one. Does the flip you assign in?